Welcome to Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong, a podcast by disabled people for disabled people. But if you're not disabled, stick around. You might learn something new. Oh my goodness. You are such an inspiration. Wow, you really are. You're so strong. Can I pet your service dog? One, two, three, let's go. We are artists, parents, teachers, good guys, bad guys, students, leaders. I'm not your inspiration. Yeah, I'm fully who I am. Got my own expectations that don't fit into your plans. I'm not your sad story, so I wrote it in this song. Everything you know about disability is wrong. Yeah, everything you know. Yeah, everything you know about disability is wrong. In today's episode, we're chatting with Jennifer Masunda, who's an artist, musician, and fantastic advocate. We are huge fans of Jennifer's work here at Everything You Know, so much so that when we made this podcast, we knew that she had to make the theme song. So let's get into it. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for coming on our podcast. You're welcome. So just to get us kind of started, one, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous yeah, about this. I think partially the nerves come in because when you're making any kind of art about an underrepresented group, then it seems like you're like responsible for then representing the entire group. It's like, no, that's not what we're doing here. We're, we're just, just chatting. chatting about our experiences. Yeah. Absolutely. So we knew we had to have you on this podcast because for our listeners, Jennifer wrote the amazing theme song that you just heard. And when we heard that theme song, we immediately, immediately knew she has to be a guest because she so clearly understands what we're trying to do with this podcast. Thank you for that. And if you want to talk about making that song, how what you felt the vision for it was, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So, okay. I wanted to make a song that made a statement. I didn't, I didn't want to be generic about it. I wanted it to be memorable and something that really said something in a short amount of time. Plus, you gave me the task of fitting everything you know about disability is wrong in a song. And that was a challenge because it just doesn't fit in a, in a, in a song too easily. So I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm up for this. So I started thinking about things people say to me. And the first thing and most common thing I get told is you're such an inspiration. And I appreciate the sentiment, but oh my goodness. It's like they say you're an inspiration. If you say I was an inspiration because of my music ability or something, that's different. But just because I have autism doesn't make me an inspiration. I like just because I'm living and breathing. And I so I really wanted to include that and a little bit of humor with kind of acting out how it gets said. And then I just, I don't know, I fit it all together in this little little rock and roll song, and there you go. <laughs> Speaking of relationships in general, in my previous relationships, I felt like I couldn't really be myself. I had to be this, like, a person that was not, didn't have feelings that aligned with being disabled. Even though my other partners were disabled too, I still felt like they had expectations of me that didn't fit who I really am. That's a good point. I think, especially when it comes to romantic relationships, it's so nerve-wracking as it is for any people meeting each other. And sometimes we find ourselves changing 
to try to feel comfortable or make them feel comfortable and not show our true colors. <laughs> I know that masking often gets talked about in terms of just autism, but I think it's such an I think masking affects everyone with disabilities because there is this level of like feeling like you need to be what people expect of you rather than who you actually are. First off, I have a confession. And that confession is that I have always dated while autistic, but didn't know up until recently <laughs> that I was yeah. dating while autistic. Because <laughs> so I've been autistic my whole life. I didn't figure it out until in my 20s. And it's something I, when I like look back on many of my dating experiences, I'll think like, wow, that person literally knew and in a version of myself that I had crafted just for them. So in your experience, Erin or Jennifer, of dating, have you mostly dated other people with disabilities? I have, yes. I don't have very, very, very long dating resume at all. I, I've I've been mostly just to myself. I'm just more comfortable that way. Now, list of crushes, very long. But list of like actual dates or the other person knowing my feelings, very short. I think when I was 15, there was this boy. I was in a psychiatric hospital at, at, on the adolescent unit. Ugh. And uh, there was this kid, and he was a little younger than me, and he was shorter than me, but he was just in love with me. And yeah, so he, when my mom came to visit, he like put on his best shirt and everything, and oh. he used to write me poems, and it was so sweet. That was my first kiss as well was him. We snuck around the corner and kissed. And so I got that out of the way. After that, Really, that was probably my most experience dating somebody. And we weren't really dating. We were just two kids stuck in a psychiatric hospital together. That is such like a coming of age in the yeah. mental health world story. Like I, if, if you had sold me that movie as a teenager, I would have watched it and probably yeah. rewatched and rewatched and rewatched. After I got released from the hospital, I went to a like a, a group home residential school. And my roommate had a picture of the boy on her corkboard. I'm like, what are you doing with that picture? She's like, that's my boyfriend. And I'm oh like, my that's God. my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. No way. That was pretty funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. So apparently he was quite the charmer. He got around <laughs> the facilities a lot. <laughs> I feel kind of like cut off from yeah. the world sometimes. And so it makes dating pools yeah. smaller. <laughs> and I mean, most of my dating experiences early on were before I identified as disabled. And, oh, I think that so much of the problems in them were just because I was with people who did not understand yeah. my brain. I felt like that boy understood me because we were both in the same situation. And now that I'm going, like, I have a crush currently and they know about it, but... I always try to mask when I'm around them because I feel like they're not going to like like me if I do like ticks or stims or something. It, I feel like it makes me look like a child or like they'll think of me as immature or it is not pretty because of those things. And so I worry about that when I'm around someone that I like, whether they know I like them or not, I definitely still mask. And that's a problem because if I ever did pursue a relationship, at what point do I 
like let myself be myself. But then again, I'm thinking about human relationships with neurotypicals. It's like, when can I stim around you? (laughs) (laughs) That is such a good point. And also, I feel like that's the best way to explain to neurotypicals what it's like to kind of have that second train of thought running of like, hey, you know, when you're early in a relationship and you have (laughs) to fart, (laughs) that's what it's like, where your body is giving you signals and you need to do something, but you just ignore the signals. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of tics growing up, like I would, I'm doing it now, (laughs) I move my neck a lot, like when I get anxious. And that was something that, oh my gosh, the second someone would point it out, it was like, I can't talk to you anymore. I can't. So then I'd be so focused on not moving in a weird way that it's like, well, now I have no social skills because I'm only thinking about this. So I can't possibly be thinking about what you're talking yes, about. That is spot on. Oh, Aaron, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say like about the farting thing. <laughs> Going back to farts. Um, <laughs> like in my current relationship, we've been together for like eight years. So we know how each other smells. So it's like, we just have like that, that comfort of having been in a relationship for so long is like just the best. Because I would never do those things in, in my, in my other relationships. So. Well, that's good. I'm glad you have that, Aaron. Hashtag yeah. couples goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. My experience with my current relationship is kind of interesting because... We dated, and then I moved to Los Angeles for a few years, and then, so we we didn't want to do long distance, so we broke up, and then when I came back to Chicago, we got back together. In that time that we were broken up, I found out I was autistic, and so, you know, such a different relationship. It felt like starting again, kind of, where the best example I can think of is there was like a fight that we had gotten into in our first go at a relationship that in our second go at a relationship, that fight got brought up. And I realized I was like, to be completely honest, we were in the car and the music was too loud and I was overstimulated. And now I can look back and see like, oh, I was just super overstimulated and was on the verge of a meltdown. So then I just took it out on my partner. So now it's interesting to see him kind of learning like, is this about me or is there something else going on? I have a friend. He's not my boyfriend. It's not romantic, but we're like really close friends now. But when we first met, he's autistic as well. And we were like talking all the time, but he had his set of issues with, with past hurts because of his autism, people taking advantage of him. And I had... my own issues and they were like clashing because my things were triggering him and his were triggering me and we ended up in this huge fight and like like blocked each other and everything and then a few months later he emailed me and was talking about how our friendship was good when it was good anyways long story short now we're like best best friends and because of that fight where we learned each other's each other's ways and what what triggered us and what overstimulated us or confused us you know like we learned we can't have conversations and make decisions over text message we have to facetime so we understand the other's intentions and we can explain it so definitely that has played a role with 
with other people and my relationships, the fact that certain things are happening that autism is affecting why I'm acting that way. Yes, you've just like unlocked something sure. for me <laughs> that I'm I'm realizing that in all of my closest relationships that have withstood me figuring out my own brain, figuring out my place in the world, almost all of my closest relationships have had some kind of, at one point, large falling out, where we've gotten into it about something, and there's been a big fight. And now, hearing you say that, you know, it makes so much sense why that would be the case, though, because if my brain doesn't function on the neurotypical level, right, like it's not the same, it's not doing what is expected, then sometimes the only way to kind of really understand how our friendship needs to function is to let it kind of blow up and then realize from there, okay, what led to that? Because the love I felt for people who I've had those kind of fights with, the love is still there. But then there's like the, yeah, that's just, that's so interesting. You totally unlocked that for me. And I think that that's just a good indicator and a realization that like sometimes when you have a first couple fights with someone, it doesn't necessarily mean count this person out. It might mean you're overcoming some kind of barrier. And I feel like that fight is what made our friendship what it is now. Because now, automatically, I already know, oh, I better, like, one of his things was like, he felt like I could, like, I didn't text him back right away, but then he'll see, like, me post on Instagram. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, always text this friend back, like, as soon as possible, because that that makes him worry. Like, do am I mad? Like, he doesn't understand that. So we like, and then once we had the fight and we're like, well, you're this and you do this and I do this. And we just yelled it all out. We were like, we, and then we had, we separated, we each processed the situation. When we came back together, we're tighter than ever because we, we already know what the other is going to, how they're going to feel about these certain things. So something there is something to be said about having a good old-fashioned fight with your partner. Sometimes they'll bring you closer. Yeah, and I wonder if part of that is because of the weight of the pressure to mask and behave neurotypically, that there's like when once you're in a fight, <laughs> that <Yeah>. pressure's gone. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm not worried about that. Right. I'm just fighting now. And the truth comes out, which sometimes needs to come out. But your true feelings and what's behind your actual actions, because there's feelings behind your actions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of speaking of feelings and deciding things, one of the topics that Aaron and I have kind of discussed in deciding to make this season about love and relationships is the kind of understanding of when someone likes you, like knowing what flirting is and knowing how to tell if someone likes you or not. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I know you kind of brought this idea up. I have a hard time discerning between are they flirting with me or are they being nice to me because I'm disabled. Because there's that, like, that default like, feeling that I have is, like, they're just being nice to me. Which is true a lot of the times. But, like, when I was in high school, there was this kid who I thought was really nice to me because he's liked my caretaker. But then I find out he's liked me. And I was so awkward about it. I was like, okay, thanks. And then he, <laughs> and one day he came over 
and put his arm around me, and I was like, no, leave. <laughs> and so it was, like, <laughs> it was like this big drama. Well, that it doesn't really matter now because I'm in a relationship. And now I know, obviously, that he likes me. I hope so. So, right. yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, that makes sense why you would build walls and why you would kind of push people away if you have that experience of like, it kind of goes back to where we started talking about like, oh, you're such an inspiration. You know, if you if somebody were to come up and tell me like, you're such an inspiration, completely separate from a conversation about disability at all, I might take that as like, oh, they think I'm an mm-hmm. inspiration. They think I'm a great person. They must really like me. But once you incorrectly assume that and then you realize like, oh, they meant I'm an inspiration because I'm autistic, yeah. then how could you not build up walls and like push people away assuming? That's true. I feel like dating and disability is like the last frontier for this. <laughs> like if we can just like show people that we have feelings and like all the feelings and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some sometimes like, for me, I don't really want to act on them, but I still have the feelings. And but then, if the chance were to like present itself, I would probably like just run away because I had a crush on on this waiter at the sugar factory mm-hmm. in Orlando, and he was so nice to me. Like brought me like extra ice cream and stuff, and was talking to me. And I'm convinced, like, and this guy is like just he's really gorgeous, and mm-hmm. I'm like. Oh, I, that's my crush. And I used to go back there and ask for his table. <laughs> he found out. And, and um, yeah, and so my support person was like, oh, she wants to take a picture with you. And he's like, sure. And we took all these pictures. And in my mind, I'm like, maybe he does like me. But then I'm like, no, I think he realizes that there's something different about me. And I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out so I see what you're saying about that and the caregiver thing too because I've had like really pretty caregivers and then all of a sudden the guys that live around in the place where I live are like oh is your staff there today who's your staff I'm like thanks a lot thanks a lot you could at least said hi or something yeah (laughs) at least pretend (laughs) to be interested in me for like 30 seconds (laughs) (laughs) well this seems like a good space we can segue we need to take a quick break But we will be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Easter Seals. You know, we work for Easter Seals, but maybe our listeners don't know what that is. Easter Seals is leading the way to full access, equity, and inclusion for disabled people and their families. And we've been doing this for more than a century. This includes helping disabled people find meaningful employment, and addressing healthcare needs for all ages. We're proud to serve communities across the country and ready for the next hundred years. For more, check us out at easterseals.com. And we're back. (laughs) So speaking of kind of pushing people away because of your expectations and what you think of. I know when we were working on making the music, Jennifer, you had kind of told us a story about your expectations of what you thought dating would be like versus your first experience or your recent experience with dating. Could you just tell us a bit about that? So I just thought, because I guess I watch a lot of movies and I thought it would be like the movies. (laughs) 
Um, call me naive, but that's all I really had to go on, you know, was uh, what I see on the, on the TV or something. And I just thought it was going to be like so romantic and, but it's like the most, I don't know, just going out with someone is like awkward and it's just all awkward. <laughs> all of it is yeah. just awkward and it's not, it's not, it's, I don't know. It's not romantic to me. I don't know if I would. Maybe like I'm done exploring romance. I'm, I, I feel like it's just too awkward and it's too much for me. So like, I, I kind of just like, at least I know that I tried, you know, that I didn't just assume I couldn't do something, but I tried. And I think that's, that's good enough for like, good enough for me to know, because as, as I got older, I'll make myself try things because I don't want to miss out I missed out on so much of my life because of my disability because I was in placement after placement and you just don't get any normal life so now that I'm able to live like a normal life I am like okay I'm going to try out for America's Got Talent I'm going to do this and do this and I just want to do all the things and now I'm happy that you know I gave romance a try and maybe it's not so much for me but I know that I gave it an effort I love that. And I mean, I think that you're so right that anytime you try to like manufacture romance or try to like really make a romantic thing happen, then that's when it's awkward. I mean, I'm awkward all the time. So (laughs) (laughs) romance is just even more awkward. And I think because we don't talk about disability. Yeah. I feel like when I was dating, like I would be on quote unquote regular dating sites. Like, not disability dating sites, but still the only people who responded to me were disabled. Because I feel like, I don't know, I just never really talked to or had a date with somebody who was not disabled. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily looking for a disabled person. We just kind of, like, find each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think that there's something about kind of what the point of this podcast is and, you know, having authentic conversations is that because disability is so not talked about ever, if you're with non-disabled people, it feels like there's so much ground to cover before you can even start talking about anything else. So like, there's so much explaining of this is who I am. This is how I function. This is what my needs are. There's so much of that before, like, hey, how was yeah. your day today? <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I feel like uh, with dating and romance, I really need my space, like, every day. Like, I don't mind talking to someone for an hour, but then after that, I just want to come back to my my little house with my dog and have absolute silence and just be there. I don't think I could, like, be married or in a long-term relationship for me. Because I really need a lot, a lot of downtime, a lot of quiet time where I'm not having to like make sure the other person's emotions are taken care of or their feelings are not getting hurt because I don't want to look at that TikTok, you know, that's so funny. (laughs) And that burns me out. So many things that are seen as like red flags or bad in dating that are actually just like accommodations. Like even you just saying that kind of, well, I don't really want to watch that TikTok right now. 
I could so easily see people being like, oh, if your partner doesn't want to watch the things you want to watch, that means they don't care about you. And it's like, no, that's not the case. It's just exactly what you said. I get burned out really easily. And I mean, I think social battery is such an important conversation. Like my battery is gone. I'm, or I love the metaphor. Mm -hmm. I think it's a metaphor (laughs) of like, of having enough spoons for the day. Like when I'm out of spoons, I'm out. I'll let you know because, because my, one of my um, people that helps me out, she was like, Hey, you want to see a picture of, of my daughter? And I was like, no. And she was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe that was harsh. And I was like, I just, I'm just really worn out right now. And, and because, but I like, I can see how that can affect somebody else. Well, and I think people, I wish people knew, you know, on the topic of everything you know about disability is wrong. I wish people knew, especially for, you know, us being autistic, like that feeling of that I can't look at something or watch something or take something in in a brain that's not mine. Like, and my brain processes intensely. Like I, looking at a picture of someone, I'm not able to just look at it and then move on. Like it might fire something else in my brain that might make me think about something else. And my my brain fires thoughts so quickly that I don't think people realize when I say no to looking at something else, it's because like, I can't, I can't let my brain fire off any more thoughts right now. It's like, I hyper focus. So when I'm focused on something, I don't want anything to try to break that because I'm so locked into something. And that's usually when I'll just cut people like, like, no, 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 no. And then, but I do have feelings and empathy. Like a lot of people think people with autism don't have empathy because of responses like that. But really, I do feel bad when I realize, oh, I think maybe I hurt their feelings and I'll go back and say, sorry, I was just worn out at at that moment. I think that that also goes back to why it's so nice to have disabled partners, friends, etc. Because it seems like those are the kind of relationships where you get to have that deep understanding of like, hey, I'm done for today. Nothing personal, but that's it. And kind of going back what I was saying on breaking kind of neurotypical standards, my boyfriend and I live together and we have yeah. our own rooms. <laughs> and people think that's people think that's no. wild. They'll be like, oh I'm in I'm in my room. I'm in his room. People think it's so weird. And it's like, no, I need that because sometimes like he needs to go into his cave. I need to go into my cave, and it, it it helps our it helps us be closer because we allow ourselves to be apart. That's a great accommodation. I never considered that. See, I could maybe do that. I, I might open myself back up to romance. So yeah. if you're out there, I'm here. Yes, <laughs> I'm not autistic, but I absolutely have to have my own room and my own space because I have anxiety. And for me, the most common thing is to be alone in my room with a book. And, like, I I can't, I just have to be away from people for a while. And so, like, if I was ever to live with somebody, I'd have to have my own room. Absolutely. And a lot of people think that's weird, but I think a lot of people now are doing it more. There's so many right things you're supposed to do. If you're in a relationship, you're supposed to share a room. You're supposed to want to be together all the time. You're supposed to. And I was definitely where you were at, Jennifer, of like, I'm done. I'm not dating again. I'm going to be alone for like, I I like to be alone. I'm not doing this. 
because I felt like dating was this landscape of shoulds and I can't I can't function in a world of what how I should behave because then I just start masking and people don't know this but masking is like really bad for your health it can like really hurt you to be like it's very stressful to have to completely hide who you are at all times and I think so much of dating culture encourages masking, even from yeah. neurotypicals, which, go, you know, go back to the fart. fart. <laughs> back to the fart. That's it. There is that level of you're supposed to mask who you are. I just wanted to find somebody that's super awkward, too. And so that it, it counteracts. It's like when you when you, when you put two elements together or something and they counteract and it becomes something beautiful. You know, Jennifer, maybe maybe that person who is the perfect amount of awkwardness that will fit into your awkwardness is listening yeah. to the pod. So if you're listening and you're looking for your perfect awkward partner, I want, I want you someone. to always be untied. Like, that's cute to me. Like, I just want all the awkward. I think that anyone, regardless of if you have a disability or not, can understand that feeling of like, I want to show up, no makeup, sweatpants, and have you pick me every time. Well, yeah, and like my version of that is I want to say way too many words and uh, talk in long sentences that don't quite get to the point until they get there, and I need you to accept that about me. (laughs) I think love is out there for all of us, and this has been such a wonderful conversation. Any other points on dating we want to get to? Just that I want the people to know that people with disabilities have feelings, all the feelings that people without disabilities have. You might not express them in the same way, or you might think, oh, we're not capable of that, but like we we are. And I would love to see it represented more in film and television and books. I just want to see it see two disabled people together, a disabled and non-disabled person together. I just want to see that represented so that people understand we're not these like, what's a word for like, not a prude, but like, we're not like non-feeling beings, you know? Like we have the same feelings and the same ones. I don't, my biggest fear is like, I don't want to die alone. Like that's my fear, like that I'm going to be alone and, and I, that's the one reason why I wanted to find like a husband because I just wanted somebody that was always there. And I think, I don't know, it's just feelings. Thank you for sharing that. That's got to be one of the most like intrinsic parts yeah. of humanity, right? Like needing others. And so much of disabled representation is like people who are isolated and alone. And I think that also... Husband isn't always the answer. There's beautiful yeah, friends too. <laughs> I've learned that disabled friendships can be Amazing. like intimate and beautiful and deeper than a lot of what people expect from friendship because we do see each other yeah. as real. That's true. That's right. And You're right. You're right. I have great friends too, so uh, I won't. I won't complain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's okay. You can complain <laughs> a little, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, there's no right answer. Mm-hmm in love and dating so thank you so much for sharing your perspective and Erin I don't know if there's any last closing thoughts you want to say I just thank you Jennifer this was great and I think everybody should find somebody that they can fart with 
completely agree. That's the best. <laughs> oh my gosh, is that a t-shirt yet? Because Aaron, huh. you just made a meme right now. <laughs> when when everyone listens to everything you know about disability is wrong and we are the number one podcast and everyone wants merch because that's going to happen <laughs> manifesting all of this to happen someday we'll make shirts that say fart find with. someone you can I fart with I love it Aaron that is perfect perfect ending welcome to ask us anything where we answer anything that's been asked of us <laughs> Erin, today's question from the Ask Us Anything is, should I disclose my disability on dating apps? I believe that you should, because if you want to have a real relationship with somebody, they're going to know that you're disabled at some point in a relationship. And if you say it from the beginning, it reads out all the ableist people. I've had that in my experience, and... When I haven't shared my disability, and it's always ended badly. And so I firmly believe that people should share it as much as you feel comfortable. You don't have to share everything. I think it's better to start off with that knowledge of your partner is disabled or you're disabled. Yeah, I think that's a really smart answer. I think that, you know, I'm still in the area of understanding what disability pride is and, you know, understanding how I want to hold being autistic and the role that plays in my life. And I think that your answer is definitely an answer that I needed to hear because sometimes I think it's, it can be easy to want to hide things and to want to try to be a person on dating apps that you're not I mean it's so easy to it's like you're making a profile so it could be so Mm -hmm. easy to not disclose things and to make like what you think the perfect profile is but you're right weed out the ableists (laughs) if if nothing else our answer is yeah disclose so that you can weed out the ableists because anyone that would not want to date you just because you're disabled Mm -hmm. is someone that you don't want to date and it's not good to start a relationship like hiding something that's so intrinsic to who you are as a person. I completely agree. And that's the Ask Us Anything. And if you want to be part of the asking us anything that we answer, you can email us at everythingyouknow at easterseals.com. Ask us anything. We'll answer. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, Be sure to write a review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time when we discuss more reasons why everything you know about disability is wrong.